Mike. Lauren. We've been talking a lot about Facebook lately, and I'm just wondering if maybe it's time for a break. Uh, you do not have to twist my arm. Well, here's the thing, though. I can't promise we're not going to talk about the metaverse. Maybe. <laughs> but like maybe from a, a slightly different perspective. Uh, should I say snap out of the metaverse or something like that? Yeah, that's 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 a good one. We're going to get to that. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. And I am Michael Calori, a senior editor at Wired. And we're joined this week by Wired editor-at-large, Stephen Levy. Stephen, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Your background on Zoom looks really idyllic. It's like a, f- <laughs> like a fall it's... foliage scene. Where where are you? Well, it's actually where I'm not. Uh, it's a foliage scene from my house in Western Massachusetts. But at the moment, I'm in Palo Alto. Got it. Okay, so the metaverse is the Berkshires. Yes. Okay, so (laughs) there's been a lot of talk about the metaverse lately, including on this podcast, uh, but we promise we're going to make it worth your while. Facebook, excuse me, Meta, has been pitching this idea of a virtual reality experience where you strap on a headset, you just completely cut off access to the real world, um, but you're supposed to have this really immersive computing experience. Some technologists, though, are seeing this as a step too far or a little too dystopian and have wanted to offer a different vision of this hyper-futuristic world. So take Snap, for example. Yes, the maker of Snapchat, disappearing messages app. The company also makes pretty sophisticated augmented reality as well. And so later on in the show, we're going to hear directly from Bobby Murphy, the co-founder and chief technology officer of Snap, who I spoke to earlier this week. But another person who has pretty strong opinions on the metaverse is Niantic CEO John Hankey. You know, you probably know Niantic as the company that makes Pokemon Go. But Hanky's vision of a connected world is a lot different from what Mark Zuckerberg has been putting out there. And Hanky has no problem pointing out what he sees as the flaws in Facebook's plans for meta domination. Now, Stephen, you talked with John Hanky from Niantic for a story that is on Wired.com this week and is coming out in our upcoming December issue of the magazine. So tell us a little bit about what his vision is for this hyper-futuristic augmented world. Right. He's actually put a stake in the ground uh, against the metaverse as portrayed by Mark Zuckerberg. He actually uh, did a blog item um, a couple weeks ago, uh, said the metaverse is dystopian. Uh, he has a his vision is not that we're going to cut out all our senses and go to this make believe world, um, have our meetings in some fake place where we all put on our headsets. Um, you know, he says I have no desire to have a meeting being a cartoon character in some place that looks like a cartoon Tahiti. Uh, instead, his view is the metaverse will be a digital layer on top of where we physically are. Um, Now, his background is he started a company called Keyhole. Um, Weirdly, it was funded by the CIA, but uh, it did satellite imagery. And then he got hired by Google, who bought his company and was instrumental in developing Google Maps. Uh, And his dream was to layer on a digital substrate to Google Maps that would tell you about things about where you were geographically. 
Now, as a matter of fact, the word Niantic comes from a ship that's buried under a street in San Francisco. Um, people walk over it all the time, but they don't even know it's there. Um, so he has the idea that if you're walking around someplace, things that happened historically in that space might be available to you if you had you know, glasses or a headset or something that were able to perceive what was you know, a, a kind of like a digital image, a digital scene um, that was available to you depending on where you are geographically. And Pokemon Go actually does that. Yeah, they have these gyms that are located to physical locations. And a couple of times they got in trouble because people owned those physical locations and they were really annoyed when a lot of Pokemon Go players showed up on their property to run their little uh, Pokemon avatars against each other. You know, my favorite um, quote from your talk with Hanky was what he said about AR, where we can make the world more interesting in small doses. And he presents this as like a uh, an opposition to the VR experience, which is just recreating the entire world in one big dose. Right, right. Yeah. So you're going to you're not going to be taken out of the world where you are. If a car hurdles towards you, you're going to get out of the way. But uh, the car might have a bunch of cartoon characters on top of it or, you know, a, a civil war reenactment. So, Stephen, Niantic is best known for Pokemon Go. But when I think about some of the other titles or experiences that Niantic might offer, like I'm a tech reporter and none immediately come to mind. And so I'm wondering how much they can sort of stake, you know, their claim in the ground when it comes to the metaverse if, um, I don't know, maybe like, do they have more IP I'm just not aware of? And like, what is that IP and what does that look like for them in the future? Well, they have Harry Potter. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, you know, and that was ruled out. Really, that didn't seem to have taken off um, to the degree that a lot of people thought it was, but there's maybe more to come on that. Um, and, you know, they just opened up their platform to outside developers. So it isn't going to be just IP that Niantic owns, but IP that people bring to it. So companies like the, the PGA and Royal Palaces and even Led Zeppelin are developing their own applications on this platform. This feels to me like a little bit of a race between the goggles people, like the, the Facebooks and the Metas and the Oculuses of the world, and the glasses slash phone people, because these are two fundamentally different ways of experiencing a different reality or an augmented reality or a virtual reality, right? One is completely yeah. immersive. The other is just, you know, uh, adding things additive to the, to the actual world that we're in. And that is really going to define the experience for people in a way that I think is going to determine how they see their humanity in relationship to technology. Like, for example, I don't want my humanity to completely disappear when I experience technology. I would rather technology just sort of add to my own humanity. So to me, the experience of walking around with smart glasses or looking at the world through my phone to see things added digitally to the world is is more appealing to me. That's That second one is, is more appealing to me. Uh, and I just I wonder, you know, if he sees a place for both or if he just feels that one is bad and the other is good. Well, he sees a place for the more immersive VR style uh, technology. But he feels that people take it in short bursts for things like entertainment or games. So uh, the, the one that you're going to have more of is the one where you don't lose who you are. And a lot of people noted that uh, when Mark Zuckerberg did his famous meta 
keynote, uh, you really don't see the people uh, who are sitting there like you know, like slugs, you know, with this uh, headset on, on, on themselves uh, while they're in these meeting rooms and um, beaches and space landscapes or whatever they're going to. It's just like in the Matrix where you see the actual human beings who've been cavorting around um, in that particular metaverse. Um, they're, you know, all curled up in the fetal position, you know, attached umbilical cords to some computation that puts their fictional identities somewhere else. Uh, that, that's a scary dystopian, as, as Hanky noted, vision. Um, but I, I still, I pressed him a little because he was arguing that the, the, the Niantic style of augmented reality uh, was going to make a, a better world. And he compared it to, um, if you visit ancient Greece, uh, you'd be able to see the colors in the building the way they allegedly were uh, during the golden age, during the classical age. He said that, you know, they weren't, you know, just plain, you know, white concrete. They were um, different colors and things like that. And I, I, I told him I, I, I did worry a little about people going to this other, quote, better reality, you know, uh, especially if they were going to wear their glasses all the time. And Niantic is uh, actually involved uh, with Qualcomm on a reference platform for a pair of their own glasses. Um, and he said, well, it's like you go to Disneyland. I'm saying you're in this make-believe fun world. And I'm saying, yeah, but you leave Disneyland, right? <laughs> you, know, you know, people are going to be walking around uh, making the world whatever they want it to look like. Uh, I think that, that could be a little dystopian as well. I have to say, I'm very curious to see where AR glasses go, but after spending a little bit of time yesterday at the AWE conference, which we're going to talk about in a bit, and doing a couple of VR demos, it had been a little while since I'd put a VR headset on. Um, I have one here. I just don't use it that frequently. And I did a couple of demos that were just like really, really cool. One was this flight simulator um, that was, I think it was called Aero. And I saw that um, through the Vario headset, which is a company in Helsinki that's making these uh, really interesting VR headsets. And then I saw a second demo from a French company called Mizik, M-I-Z-I-K, and it was a karaoke app in VR where you become the rock star. Like all of a sudden you're belting Shallow by Lady Gaga at the top of your lungs, like in VR, while presumably your friends are sitting around you uh, laughing at you because you look and sound like a fool with your VR headset on. But you are on stage in front of like in a stadium full of people. And it's this really incredible backup dancers. Uh, and it's like this really incredible feeling. And um, the AR experiences I've had on heads up displays have been a little bit janky and frankly distracting. And so I think those have to get really, really, really good. But when you try something like the Oculus Quest 2, it already is pretty darn good. You just have to like, there's that inertia and that barrier to like putting the thing on and trying it. Yeah, I, I think the AR stuff coming up is going to be better. Um, I, I actually was talking to Ronnie Abovitz, who was the founder of Magic Leap, which uh, flamed out. But the, the demos that, you know, um, I had in some of the early stuff, some of them were really good. They were onto something. They just weren't able to... Uh, convert before um, their money ran out um, in bringing that, that to bear. Uh, my guess is that Ronnie is going to be involved in uh, some of the stuff on the lines of Niantic, what, what is doing in, in the future. The, the one application I'm, I'm really looking forward to is to have uh, home concerts by big artists. 
you know, like Bob Dylan or things like that, acoustic concerts in your house. Uh, you, you gather a bunch of people, everyone shares the same thing, and you have kind of like a holographic James Taylor or Lady Gaga at the piano or whatever uh, performing in your house with full spatial audio. I think that could be really cool. <laughs> that would be dope. I mean, you could do that now if you have $30 million you want to spend. <laughs> <laughs> well, you may, you you have that, Mike. I'm, I'm, I'm still saving. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back with Snaps, Bobby Murphy, and AR developer Brielle Garcia, who I spoke to earlier this week at the AWE conference. And Stephen, stick around for recommendations. Right. So there's this entire conference dedicated to the metaverse. They have that already? Yeah, except it's not called that. It's called Augmented World Expo, or AWE. So like, aw. Aw, yeah, that's what my neighbor Casey <laughs> Newton said today, too, when I told him I went to AWE. Great, Great minds. minds. Great minds. <laughs> so AWE takes place in Santa Clara in Silicon Valley. And I headed down there for a day this week with my mask on and my headset ready to survey the scene. And I also had the chance to interview on stage Bobby Murphy, the co-founder and CTO of Snap, and AR and VR developer Brielle Garcia, who makes lenses for Snap Spectacles. Um, and obviously, I had to ask them what they both think of the metaverse, or really just ask them what it is. And like John Hankey of Niantic, Snap sees the future of computing more through the <clears throat> lens, see what I did there, uh, more through the lens of AR rather than the like the full headset VR. So it's definitely a different stance from Facebook. And in fact, the joke in the industry is that Snap's CEO, Evan Spiegel, is Facebook's quote unquote chief product officer since Facebook has a habit of borrowing many features from Snap. But when most people think of Snap, they're still thinking of like the app that teens use to send disappearing messages to each other, right? Totally, totally. Like, do you use Snap, Mike? Uh, no, it's one of those things that won't install on my phone because my phone knows that I'm over 40. <laughs> kind of like TikTok. Exactly. Steven, are you using Snap? Uh, not too much. I don't, you know, I, I like it, but none of my friends use it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't either. My niece, though, loves it and she's like 13. <laughs> so, um, yeah, this is this is the podcast all about anecdata here. Yeah, my um, friends, my friends are all in retirement homes. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, Snap is a fraction of the size of something like Facebook and probably has a fraction of the influence too. But Snap also does have that extremely active youngish user base. Like I think hundreds of billions of messages are being shared in the app every day. And that's exactly the younger user base that Facebook has been striving to get its claws into. And Snap has developed some pretty interesting AR technology, like they were doing like, you know, the dancing hot dog and other cool filters, like long before it kind of became mainstream. Mm. So yeah, I had some questions about what that was like for Snap now that everyone is is like rallying around this codified idea of the metaverse. And, um, and here's what Bobby and Brielle had to say. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for being here. I'm Lauren Good from Wired, and I'm here with Brielle Garcia and Bobby Murphy. Thanks so much to the both of you for being here um, for this early bird session. Uh, so some of you were probably here yesterday and heard a lot of conversation about the metaverse. So let's start out by talking about the metaverse. Uh, I'll toss it to Bobby first. 
What is the metaverse? <laughs> that's, that's a good question. Um, I, you know, I think, to be honest, it's not a term that we've ever used internally or externally to describe what, what we're doing. And I think part of that is just, um, it's pretty ambiguous. And I think depending on who you ask, we get very different definitions, um, which I think for us has made it not particularly helpful in helping anyone kind of understand what we're, what we're trying to do. Um, what we are trying to build is, is uh, really towards this AR future. I mean, we're heavily committed to and invested in augmented reality. Uh, and, and for reasons that I think many in the audience will probably agree with, which is um, we see augmented reality as this amazing technology that allows people to um, engage with uh, digital experiences, visualize digital experiences in a way that is very aligned to how we as humans naturally uh, see, see the world, which is we look out, we, um, we ask questions about the things that we're looking at, we um, think about decisions we have to make, we um, visualize and uh, you know, changes and, and new possibilities in, in that world. Um, and I think because of that alignment, AR has become an incredibly uh, actually useful and very, very powerful medium uh, for conveying an idea, uh, for conveying a concept. Um, and we've seen tremendous impact to our own business with augmented reality, where hundreds of millions of people are playing with AR every day to express themselves, communicate with friends. Um, and, and we've seen a lot of um, early signal around the usefulness and the practicality of AR for many other use cases. I mean, commerce is a great one that, that we're, we're investing very heavily in. We have for the last couple of years, um, where uh, you know, if you take uh, you know, at, at SPS, our, our, our annual uh, SNAP Partner Summit this past year, we, we announced a bunch of capabilities, but one of which was true size for eyewear, allowing you to um, very quickly and instantly try on a, a pair of glasses without having to pre-calibrate, like kind of scan your head, hold up a card for scale. It just works instantly. And I think in, in using that, you, you realize pretty quickly, like, not only is this a really impactful way to make a more informed decision about a product you may want to purchase, but it's actually way faster than anything that exists today. Um, faster, certainly, than going into a store and, and trying, to, trying to browse pairs of sunglasses, but also faster than even browsing a website and clicking through product pages. So this, like, hyper-usefulness and hyper-practicality um, makes AR an extremely powerful tool. And I think we're seeing um, through products like Camera Kit, which allow app developers to bring our, our full lens technology into their own application experiences, many, many more companies beginning to realize the same thing that we have for, for several years now, which is that AR is a fantastic way to add a ton of value to any camera-based experience. Um, and, and I want to ask you, if I may interrupt, sure, I, yeah. I kind of want to ask you about that idea that Snap has been doing this for so long, and now there's this kind of like, uh, it's codified word to describe it. Um, but first, I want to ask Brielle, when you, when you think of the metaverse as it's been, as it's been historically, mm -hmm. and how, how it's being presented now, what is it to you? Um, the short answer, I believe metaverse is the internet. A uh, longer answer is, I think, metaverse is kind of this essence that emerges from spatial, social, internet experiences. That it's not something we build, that it's rather something that just, this idea that emerges from connected apps and experiences we're building today, like what we have with Snapchat or Minecraft or Roblox, like, it's metaverse, like it's here, it's now. Um, yeah, that's just kind of my philosophy on. So it already exists yes. in your mind. In, in my mind. It's here, we're building it. I, I don't think it's going to be a moment where we suddenly are like, ah, now it's the metaverse. It's going to just emerge. I like that. The metaverse not as a moment, mm -hmm. but, but as a gradual experience. Um, so Bobby, I mean, Snap has been making air lenses for a very long time, several years, as you mentioned. 
And it, you were doing this even before there were these software frameworks like AR Core and AR Kit on the biggest mobile platforms. You had your own in-house technology providing these like really, really cool AR filters in the mobile app. And now lots of people are jumping on board. Yeah. And we do have you know, one of the biggest tech companies in the world, Facebook, coming out and sort of staking this land grab around it and saying, the metaverse, the metaverse. How does that feel for you as a technologist who really was very early to some of these technologies? Yeah, I mean, we, we're able to innovate based on what we see in, in our kind of growing community. I mean, as I was kind of describing, I think that we're seeing a very rapid expansion of uh, value that AR is driving for many, many businesses now where such that like, I think if you are any company and you have any consumer facing camera experience, that experience when connected to AR will be more valuable, more useful than, than if not. Um, and that in turn is actually creating tremendous distribution opportunity for our lens creators. So for us, it's less about, I don't know, defining some like 10, 20 year um, thing. It's like we are seeing really tangible value today in, in mobile AR. And probably for the next um, several years, we'll see a, a very rapid expansion, proliferation of augmented reality across many, many companies, um, really changing the way consumers are capable of engaging with, um, with, with you know, their favorite brands and with experiences. Um, and, uh, and I think that, that momentum is, is really what, what is inspiring a lot of the work that, that, that we do. Do you agree with the joke that Snap is often Facebook's chief product officer? <laughs> I, I, yeah, and some some of the things that, that they've done haven't haven't quite been super inspired. I think, uh, you know, like I said, we're we're, we're focused on, on really innovating about what, around what we see in our community. Okay, so not entirely a joke. That's what I'm getting <laughs> from that. One of the apps in particular that we have here uh, is a really cool demonstration of what could be done through. You've got the glasses on the spectacle, AR spectacles. Yeah. What can be done and built through them? Um, describe first what the app is. You have many apps. Um, and everyone should go check out Braille's webpage and, and see some of these examples. Um, I really liked, there was one, uh, there was a Game Boy one that mm -hmm. was really cool. Uh, there was also one, 3D Stonks. Yes. You know, <laughs> very relevant today, Stonks. Uh, tell us a little bit about this menu app that you've created, yeah. or Lens, I should call yeah. it Lens. Uh, uh, so when I got the spectacles, uh, my mind was just racing with uh, so many ideas of what I could do. And I have just been slowly working down that list of ideas. Uh, this one came to me. I was out to breakfast with family for the first time in like a year, and we were sitting down. And I noticed like all the menus had QR codes now, uh, or they had QR codes to get the menu. Mm -hmm. And I had the spectacles on me at the time, and I was like, you know, wouldn't this be really cool? Like if I could scan this with the spectacles, and then the menu is are the meals. And I immediately went home and like got some food scans and made some scans and started putting together this proof of concept of what it would feel like. And as soon as I saw like the food sitting there in front of me, I was like, this is a game changer. Like, like this is a big deal. And my parents were visiting and I, I was like, dad, come, come look at this. And I put, put them on him and he, he said, wow, like I never want to use another menu again. <laughs> he was like, this is amazing. And he got could use it immediately, and I was like, there's so much value here, and there's so much promise with the, the technology. And as you were envisioning that, were you envisioning it just for the glasses? Well, I mean, because presumably your whole family, it'd be cool to think of your whole yeah, family sitting there with yeah. these awesome glasses um, on but like. A lot of the experiments with spectacles, I've been thinking about like, what does hands-free stereoscopic 
enable. And like, the, you can do the experience on mobile, and it's great and compelling, but there is something just magical about when it's a hologram in front of you. And it physically looks like it's sitting on the table in front of you. It, it kind of changes your dynamic of, oh, what do I want to eat? And as you're swiping through, it's like, oh, well, this, look, this actually looks really good. I wasn't thinking I wanted sushi, but this sushi looks really good. Um, and it was just, it was a lot of interesting things that emerged out of the experiments. But a lot of the work I've done with spectacles is thinking about just what, when you have your hands free and it has depth, what does that, what can that enable? There's a lot of conversation, I think, about what is the real world in the mm -hmm. digital world right now and, and how it's like a one or the other thing, but what you're actually describing through a Snapchat lens, a snap lens, mm -hmm. is, is this uh, blending of the two. Like, it's not, it's not quite the same as seeing the plate out, you know, mm -hmm. in the deli counter, like, of the food you might order, mm -hmm. but it's maybe the next best thing. Mm -hmm. I, th so, I think, too, it's, I was just gonna add, yeah. like, I think, too, it's, it's representative of, of one of the, like, values of AR, which is, can be very, very transactional. Like, in this case, it's a fantastic way to make a decision about something you want to eat, and then you can put it away and then eat the thing that you are yeah. trying to eat. And so it, it actually is, is a, a very quick and efficient experience mm -hmm. to make, a, make an informed decision. Yeah. Um, one of the questions I have when I, when I talk to both you know, creators and, and the people who are running the platforms is around interoperability. Mm -hmm. If you build something, if, if you're committed to something like Lens Studio and building something for Lens, how portable is that to another platform and how easily would the you know, what you call the end user, people who are using the stuff be able to just move seamlessly from, from like one platform to the next? Um, I think interoperability is really hard, um, it, especially on a deeper software level. All of these assets, these are FBX files, GLTF, they're portable to any platform, any modern platform. Um, so in that sense, it's extremely portable. From a code sense, every platform is different. They may share JavaScript, but their approach to JavaScript is different, or they focus more on a certain type of coding or something. Um, so that kind of interoperability is, is hard for everyone, I think. But the, the assets are portable and can go kind of anywhere. So when you say it's hard uh, for anybody, you mean as a developer, mm -hmm. meaning you have to take those assets from? I think as a, as a developer, as a, someone building a platform, I think for Snap and other companies, you, that kind of, that level of interoperability between compatibility and projects is, it, it, it's just a tough problem and not, it's not always in everyone's best interest to <laughs> bring all that together. But the assets are uh, just infinitely portable and. Bobby, what do you, how are you thinking about interoperability these days? When you look at uh, Niantic, John Hankey spoke yesterday, what Microsoft is doing with Mesh, what Facebook is doing with Meta. Um, am I crazy to think that maybe all these companies aren't gonna play nice with each other all the time? <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that's an interesting question. Um, I'll say like for us, at this moment in time, the first priority is, is our ability to innovate and, and you know, Part of the reason that we're investing so heavily in, in for example, hardware um, and, and is because we have an opportunity to control um, and really um, tinker with like, every aspect of the experience from hardware all the way through software. And like, that, um, 
that control actually gives us a, a really remarkable ability to actually innovate and really kind of find the sweet spot amongst all these different constraints. And the same thing is true of, of mobile, where we can optimize the heck out of you know, any of the, the algorithms that we're building and the tools that we're building because it's all you know, one seamless thing. That said, um, the last couple of years, we've done a lot of work and we're continuing to invest pretty heavily in actually different forms of interoperability. Like we have, you know, through camera kit uh, capacity for lenses to run in many, many different applications. We are working with a ton of companies now to either feed data and information into lenses or, or you know, feed lenses into their experiences. Um, and so, you know, it, it is absolutely very exciting to see what, uh, what Niantic and other companies are doing in the space. And um, I think certainly as as we continue developing, we'll look for ways to partner with them and, and uh, figure out how lenses and, and these other AR experiences can, can work together. What does that actually look like, though, for both of you? If you say you partner with a company like Niantic, like what eventually does that mean? How does someone experience that app or that lens? Well, it's actually, the thing is, it's hard to say now because we're, we're probably at less than 1% of the total potential you know, over the next couple of decades of, of AR. And so at this point in time, it feels like the most important value for anybody who's operating in this ecosystem um, to, to provide is to actually just help people get interested and involved in augmented reality, to kind of see the value in it, um, you know, create an experiment with, with AR experiences. Um, and as that starts to happen, um, as more and more businesses realize that they can create these like, highly differentiated customer experiences, as new companies form, old companies get, get involved, I think that's when the, these, the, the demand around the edges of like, okay, how does, if I've built something for one company, how do I make sure that that also works? Like, then th those problems become much easier to solve when you have concrete examples of how they need to connect versus trying to decide early when very few, you know, very few companies are really fully invested in augmented reality. Yes, I get that it's early, but also people are really creating these, they're laying the groundwork right now for what this is going to look like, right? So like, I'm kind of wondering what your, both of you, what your pie in the sky ideas are for like how we eventually experience these lenses and apps in, in a more fully formed metaverse. I want to see lenses everywhere. I want to be able to take the stuff I'm building in Lens Studio and uh, can I add these, use these lens effects uh, on my Pokemon and Pokemon Go? Or I, I think there's value in just bringing, because Lens Studio is such a wonderful development platform. For me, it's so fast. Like, I'll see something's trending on Twitter, and I'm like, oh, I want to make a meme lens of that. I can make it in an hour and ship it, and people are using it before the moment has passed. And um, being able to use that kind of like development tool to bring these types of experiences into other uh, platforms and applications would be my dream um, as a developer. And, and eventually that becomes a commerce platform too, mm -hmm. right? I mean, these applications, lenses, experiences are going to be monetized. Um, they're likely going to be ads in the metaverse. We're, you know, it's almost certain. Um, and we even saw in Facebook's demonstration last week, it's a virtual demonstration of its vision of the metaverse, someone standing at a virtual vending machine and seeing like an NFT for purchase and virtual merch. Um, some of you may have watched this. So um, when you think about how this digital world is going to be monetized, what does that look like? If this is the successor to the mobile internet, what's been your biggest learning and how things are monetized now that you think should be different 
in this future, this future world that we're talking about? I, I, think, I think the main thing is, well, first I'll say like, there, there are a ton of like really amazing branded experiences, which, which we've seen uh, reach a ton of engagement, even more so than many of our kind of organic lenses. You know, Brielle has worked on behalf of many, many companies to do some amazing stuff. Um, so I think like the idea that that uh, you know like you can you can engage with characters and products and, and services that you really care about and really resonate with with you as a person like that's that's actually a fantastic use case for for augmented reality. So so to your point like yes we definitely know that probably some form of, of sponsored AR advertising in the in the years to come will will exist as as a form of monetization in AR. But I don't think that will be the only and maybe not even the primary way that you know, monetization happens. We're seeing some interesting development, like you mentioned, around NFTs. I think through commerce, we're seeing a real value in AR facilitating transactions, helping people make decisions about products they want to buy. Um, so I think like a AR is such a big space that I, that I imagine that there will be many, many, many different ways that people find, find ways to build businesses and, and many different ways that, uh, to reach customers and monetize um, you know, their, their experiences. And so our, our job as a company is, as we continue adding capabilities and, and growing our lens platform, is to make sure that we are um, kind of open to and, and enabling uh, a wide range of, of opportunities for, for lens creators. Right, because it seems like there's this distinction between using augmented reality to spur purchases of, of physical goods versus the, the emerging market for virtual goods that we're seeing right now. Like there was a period of time where I swear every AR app demo I went to, they were like, and here's where you place the sofa. <laughs> and I was like, my dude, how many sofas do you think I buy per year? <laughs> and so there would be these like kind of limited experiences um, of, of like how many physical goods we're actually going to gain understanding around in the, in the virtual world. Um, but this market for, for NFTs and other digital, digital assets is so interesting. I mean, is this, do you think this is a fad or is this here to stay? I don't know, what's your um, <laughs> I'm, I'm keeping an eye on it. There's um, a lot of good questions being asked about like things that we need to address about uh, environmental impact of certain blockchain technologies yep. and can we address that and bring more value to what the, the technology underlying these tokens can provide. Because I do believe there's value in blockchain technology. I think there's some very interesting potential uses. And I'm excited to see where, like, what we can come up with in the future. I don't think this current uh, craze we're seeing right now is necessarily exactly it. But I mm -hmm. want to. I'm looking forward to what are we working on next? How can we really push this technology? And can we address some of the real world concerns that we do have about specific blockchain technology? So, um, I think our time is up. Thanks so much to both of you for your time. And thanks to everyone Thank for listening. Thank Let's take a break and then we're gonna come back with our recommendations. Stephen, as our guest of honor this week, what's your recommendation? Okay, I think I have a good one this week. Um, lately, and maybe um, a little presentation by Michael will help, help do this, I've been yearning to return to my turntable, which has been put away for many years. And uh, uh, I wanted to set it up in the home office I set up that used to be my son's bedroom um, when there was no stereo system. So I got this thing called the Andover Spin Bass Turntable Speaker. Um, it's a one-piece, uh, pretty excellent audio uh, device, 
that has like a, a like an amp preamp built in. You just plug the speaker or you, just, you know, into the back of the turntable and bam, you're ready to go for vinyl. And uh, so I've dug out uh, some of my LPs and um, put down the needle and listened to really cool music on the $300 uh, Andover spin bass turntable. So does it have a phono amp inside of it? Is that the is that the yeah, idea? That yeah, it's like- yeah, it has an amp, and it also it's got Bluetooth. So oh. if you're not spinning the discs, um, you get access to the Celestial jukebox and can just use the speaker. Fantastic. Nice. Um, and do you know if there are supply chain issues around that right now? <laughs> like, will people be able to got, order it if we link to it? You know, I got it pretty quickly. I, I have to say, I, I was trying to time it for when I was home. Um, and, you know, uh, it, it got there just in time. I'm glad I, 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 I was around. All right. That's great. We did an entire episode last week with Adrian. So it was super fun. I mean, despite the fact that we were talking about all of the, the supply chain woes, but it was all about the supply chain. So I had to ask. Yeah. Uh, Mike, what's your recommendation this week? Um, I'm going to recommend a YouTube channel that I just discovered. It is called De Mi Rancho a Tu Cocina, which is that's my lovely Spanish pronunciation in case you couldn't discern. Uh, that means from my ranch to your kitchen. And it is a cooking channel on YouTube. Uh, it is a, a woman, like a 60-something woman from Michoacan, Mexico. Her name is Angela. And she makes traditional Mexican recipes in her home kitchen over a wood-burning stove with a comal on top, like a griddle on top, uh, and a mocajete that she uses to grind things. So she makes things like enchiladas. She makes uh, pan de muerto. She makes chilaquiles. She makes carnitas. She does all of this uh, just standing in her kitchen. And like there's, you know, it, it's an open kitchen. So there's like the jungle and you hear jungle noises. Some days it's raining. It's really, really lovely. Uh, she she speaks in Spanish. So if you don't speak Spanish, you have to turn on the subtitles to watch it. Uh, but it's a really great lesson in like very simple, very traditional cooking. Uh, she's also just a delight to watch. I found this because people were sharing it on Twitter uh, when like somebody was trying to figure out a, the best way to make chilaquiles and everybody was sharing their favorite recipes. So I clicked on hers and watched her video. And not only do I now use her method, but I also have watched like 10 of these so far and it's only been like a day and a half. So I'm sure I'm going to watch the rest later. Um, I will say that it's not exactly secret. She has millions and millions of followers and each oh, of wow. her each of her videos has several million views. So I may be late to Demi Rancho uh, to Cocina, but uh, it's taken my heart. Mike, that probably works out for you because that's your kitchen setup, isn't it? No. <laughs> <laughs> I have a somewhat, I have a kitchen that's about, uh, it's about modern with like 1987. Yeah. 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 If Mike had that kind of kitchen, we probably would have lost him to Bon Appetit a long time ago. Yeah. Totally. Although I do yearn for a comal. I would love to have a wood burning stove that has a griddle and I can also use it as an oven and I can like bake wonderful things, but I'll, I'll, I'll make do with what I have right now. Anyway, Lauren, what's your recommendation? Sounds super cool. My recommendation is a little bit in honor of you, Mike. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the metaverse and I said at the top of the show, what's your favorite part of the metaverse? And you said, (laughs) (laughs) you said my favorite part is when I get to log off and get outside. Still my favorite part. 
still is the best part of the metaverse. Well, I happen to be listening to The Cut podcast this week, which is done by New York Magazine, part of Vox Media. And there's an episode titled, Maybe You Should Go Outside. And it's in conversation with uh, The Cut's Jasmine Aguilera, who also used to produce our Vogue podcast here. Um, And her guest is Stephanie Fu. Stephanie talks about how she was feeling really burned out and she was looking for access to nature, but she lives in New York City, and the closest thing was Prospect Park, and how she just got really deep in the world of um, plants, like started to spot, you know, native plants and invasive species, and started to figure out what weeds were, and decided she was gonna start weeding, and then she went through this official, like, stewardship program, where she became a super steward for the park, Um, and she and Jasmine make a joke about how super steward is, like, kind of a lame name, and they should call it plant parenthood instead, which made me laugh. Um, and, and, you know, they both talk about how, like when they were living in California and Mike, it's something you and I are very fortunate enough to have access to. There's a lot of great access to nature where we are here. It's not too hard to get to the forest or the beach, um, or just find yourself outside and, and like reconnect in some way and, and like remind yourself of of what it's like to be away from so many screens all the time, but it can be harder to do when you're in a densely populated, um, urban environment. And so they just have a really thoughtful conversation about the, the little things you can do to try to reconnect with nature and, and get outside um, when you're feeling overwhelmed by by tech and, and life and other things. And so I recommend taking a listen. Uh, it's called Maybe You Should Go Outside. Nice. All right. That's our show for the week. Stephen, thank you for joining us from your... Uh, metaverse. Your metaverse <laughs> with the beautiful foliage in the background. I really, I really fo- love it's it. It's foliage. Foliage. Did I say foliage? You, you said foliage. <laughs> <laughs> foliage again. <laughs> we have to leave that in. All right. Uh, in the metaverse, the foliage is. When I say foliage again, foliage. <laughs> all right, I give up. Oh, all right. I went to school in Vermont. This is like the one thing that I learned. <laughs> Um, thanks to all of you for listening and especially to this part and thanks to the organizers of AWE where I recorded the conversation with Bobby Murphy and Brielle Garcia you can also watch the session on AWE's YouTube channel and then all the other AWE 2021 sessions um, can be found at awe.live and if you have feedback for us you can find all of us on Twitter just check the show notes and this show is produced by the always excellent unflappable Boone Ashworth Goodbye for now, and we'll be back next week. Hi, everyone. Michael from Gadget Lab here. I want to tell you about our friends over at The Big Take podcast from Bloomberg News. Each weekday, they bring you one important story from their global newsroom, like how AI will upend your life or why China's targeting the U.S. dollar, and maybe how Joe Biden plans to take on Donald Trump. Oh boy. Check out The Big Take, a daily podcast from Bloomberg, wherever you listen.